Well, it is very nice to see everyone here this morning and to be able to spend this time with you. I shared in Bible study this morning that I'm not sure why. I I never completely understand all that God is trying to do in me, to teach me, to show me. But I have been overwhelmed over the last few weeks about what really happened at the cross. What really happened at his death and his burial and his resurrection. For some reason, the Lord has just brought it back with great power, great truth that I've never seen before in these passages. I can't wait every time I study to get here to teach, whether it be in Sunday school or Sunday night or Wednesday night. The Wednesday night Bible study has blown me away. I'm studying Revelation again, teaching Revelation as I've never done before. And I shared on Wednesday night when it happened this morning in Bible study that there was a one moment on, on Wednesday night. I had a flip chart here and I was teaching from this flip chart and something came out of my mouth, something that God spoke using my mouth that I heard it exactly the same time that everybody else here heard it. And I knew that God had just said something deep and profound in that moment. It was so strange for God to be using my voice the way that he was so completely. And all of a sudden I realized that didn't come out of my head. That didn't come out of my heart. That was him speaking. And I heard it the same time everyone else did, even though it came out of my mouth. I can tell you he is doing things right now. He has a plan and a purpose, even for this morning, that is so far beyond what we can recognize. Most of us have come to church. And I want to tell you, God is not interested in coming and doing church with us this morning. He's here to change lives. He's here to bring truth and revelation. He's here to bring an encounter between him and us. And we can either be ready for it, looking forward to it and anticipating it. Or we can come here and go to a church service and go home in a few minutes, having never really experienced God at all. You've heard me say many times that, and I don't know exactly when this occurred, But it has become unfortunate that most of the time when we look at a service and we leave out and somebody says, you know, great service. What they mean is that the message was good and the music was good. And it's very unfortunate that we've ever tried to evaluate a service based on the quality of the message and the quality of the song service. Because what God intended when we would come together is that we would encounter his presence. You want to know whether we had a good service or not? Did we encounter him? Did he speak? Did he touch us? Did he remove a burden from us? Did he set us free? Because he came to do all those things this morning. He came so that we could encounter him. He's here. He's not on that cross. He defeated that cross. He defeated death. He overcame sin so that he could be here in us, ready to reveal himself in us in this moment. I'm going to begin this morning from the book of Genesis, and there's so much that happens in the opening chapters of Genesis, almost to the degree that our minds and our hearts have a difficult time sorting out all that we can see, all the truth that we can hear, and all the early revelation that we can receive. But I shared last week in reading in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, and that scripture says, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. I realized for the first time that in that scripture, a revelation that God 
had given as to why and why not that he couldn't allow Adam and Eve to stay in the garden. I don't know if you have, as I have in in all the years past, I've seen that as God excluding them as punishment for the sin that they had committed. Well, I want to tell you, when I saw this, and it shouldn't surprise us, it shouldn't have surprised me to recognize why he couldn't allow them in the garden. What had happened? Adam and Eve had committed sin and they had become sinners. What would have happened as a sinner had they eaten from the tree of life? They would have been permanently in eternal life under the condemnation of sin. It was the greatest act of love that God could have shown these two children. And we know that that's true. When does God give us eternal life? He gives us eternal life when our sins have been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. When we have been saved, he can then, according to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him could receive that everlasting and that eternal life, but not a minute before. Because he would not have allowed us to live under the condemnation of sin for eternity. He loves us way too much more than that. So it was interesting for me to, for that to shift from a moment of punishment to a moment of love. But it does explain, again, in a very profound way to me, why that unfolds like that. In that moment of sin, Adam lost his ability to have an intimate walk with God. We read about this last week. God came walking in the midst of the garden and Adam and Eve had hidden themselves because of what they had done. Their becoming sinners had separated them from the intimate walk that they had previously had with God in the garden. But God's great desire all along from that point and and even before to, to now and beyond, God's great desire is to have an intimate walk with you. He has to first address that by cleaning us of the sin by the blood of his son. But what allows us to have the intimate walk is by his spirit that comes to live in us. He wants that intimacy with us. He wants it so badly that by the sacrifice of his son, a debt was paid that each of us owe but cannot pay. We talked about it in Bible study this morning that every one of us owes a sin debt, a price we can't pay. But why couldn't we pay it? Why couldn't we offer our life as payment for that sin debt, which is death? We understand this pretty well. We've talked about it so many times of why Jesus had to be born alive, why Jesus had to be born of a woman, but not of an earthly father. Again, just as a reminder, the reason is because it is by fathers that death is passed to children. That's, that's occurring today. That's a very common and, and known thing. The death is passed by the fathers. All of us could not pay for the debt of our own sin We couldn't make our own payment because all we would be offering for that death penalty would be death itself. We'd be offering death for death and that's no payment. But Jesus, on the other hand, who was born of an earthly woman, but but conceived by the Holy Spirit, not having an earthly father, was the only human ever born alive. It's an interesting fact, but but a more, more powerful truth. Because what needed to be offered for this death condemnation. What was going to have to be offered in its place? Life had to be offered for death. 
That's the payment that God made for every one of us who had a sin debt that we couldn't pay. He knew we couldn't pay it. And he offered his son as the payment for the sin that we couldn't pay for. Why? Because all we could offer, again, on our own behalf was something unacceptable to God. I taught this morning in Bible study, there's only been one person who's ever been acceptable to the Father. And it's not me. And it's not you. There's only been one person who's ever been acceptable by the Father, and it is his Son. It is Jesus. So why is it that it is his righteousness that we offer back to him at salvation? Why do we have to die so that his righteousness could live in us? Because it's only the righteousness of his son that's pleasing to the father. Why is it that, that we can't work hard with our hands and be pleasing to him? Because it's only by the work of his son through us that's pleasing to the father. The son is always pleasing to the father. Our lives would be so much more simple as believers if we would get that simple truth. What he wants from us, what he wants us to offer to him is his son who lives in us. His son whose righteousness has been established through us. Well, I want to show you something this morning in Genesis chapter 4, if you want to turn there, from a very, very familiar story. But I want to show you something that it was just powerful to me as I read it as I recognized that it was God's love for Adam and Eve that kept them out of the garden. Well, I want to tell you, this is another one of those scriptures that we need to understand so that we can see once again how the love of God was in this story as well. Genesis 4, and I'll begin reading with verse 1. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance falling? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. There's a great deal we know about this story. We've heard it, we've been taught many times. We know many things about this story already. And we understand why Cain's sacrifice was not accepted by God. The reason why God would accept Abel's and not Cain's is one of these critically important things that we know. As a matter of fact, it is a matter of life and death for us to understand this answer. Why God would accept Cain's but not Abel's. It was not because Abel had lived a better life than Cain. He was no more righteous than his brother. As a matter of fact, both alike were sinners. They were both now the fallen heirs of a fallen Adam. Their status was exactly the same. The reason is that Abel brought a lamb, the picture and type of Jesus Christ, recognizing that for true atonement, for true redemption, blood was going to have to be shed. We get this early, earliest picture of Jesus dying on the cross in this picture. On the other hand, Cain offered only the fruit of his own work. He offered his, his own effort and his own achievement. And I want us to get this. God would not then, nor will God now, 
accept anything or anyone but his own son. He will not offer the best you can bring. He will not honor the achievements of your Christian life. He does not care how many badges or pins you wear on your chest. He does not consider all the Christian achievements that we consider to be great. Because what makes us acceptable to him is that lamb, his son, who died for us. We saw that difference hanging there in that story. Cain brought the the best that he had, but it was the fruit of his own hands. It was the achievement of his own work. And God is saying, you will never be able to bring that and become acceptable to me. What makes you acceptable is the lamb. And we get this early, early picture. His son, again, establishes that. We get a little confused at the transaction that God performs on our behalf the minute that we're saved. When by our faith, when we ask God from our soul, we cross this line into the spirit and we ask God by faith, ask Jesus to do something on our behalf. In that moment, that transaction that he performs, I want to tell you is one of the most profound moments that moves heaven and earth. It's not a casual thing. It's unfortunate that we have made our salvation almost unimportant, significant in the fact that it allows us to go to heaven, but to recognize what happens to us in that moment. What happens when we, by faith, ask him to save us? I want to tell you that salvation that he brings to us was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And that blood is now covering my sin. So never again can the father see my sin. That ought to blow us away. That the blood of Jesus did such a thorough job that my sin is forever hidden from God the Father. If I'm living under condemnation of sin as a believer, I want to tell you it's not God. He will bring conviction so that we can be forgiven as we make this walk. But the condemnation of sin is not from God once we're saved. He establishes us. He gives us life in his son's righteousness so that we can be pleasing to the Father. But just as we noticed earlier, That what God did for Adam and Eve was an act of love. It was an act of kindness. I want us to see that in this one as well. Notice that God did not punish Cain for what he brought. There was no correction. There was no punishment. He didn't have to go off and pay some price so that he could come back and do this correctly. As a matter of fact, in verse 7, let me read that one again. He gave him this great opportunity to repent. He gave him a great opportunity to change his mind. If thou doest well, he's telling him, if if you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So he's giving him here this perfect opportunity. He's saying to Cain, you know what's right. You now know what's acceptable. And he's giving him an an unbelievable opportunity to do something different and to repent and change his mind. God was not angry at Cain because of what he had done. As a matter of fact, if we read this correctly, you can hear and understand the love of God that he was showing him. He said, if you do well, that infers that Cain knew what it would take to do well. To recognize that what made him acceptable was recognizing the lamb rather than the human effort that he had offered. He was simply asking Cain to leave the position that he held to step into the truth that I'm offering you right now. I want to tell you, I hope that resonates with us. God is not angry at you. I don't care what you've done. 
I don't care what you imagine about yourself. God is not angry at you. He does want us always to leave the position that we once held, to discover the truth, and to be able to step into that which brings agreement and offer the Son back to the Father. But He is not coming at us from a position of anger. If you think He's angry at you, please this morning let that go. He is not angry. He's not disappointed. There's not a single thing that you could possibly do as His child that would take the smile off of His face. He loves you. I share this from time to time because it gives this picture so well. You know, Jan and I have five grandchildren and the, and the youngest of the, the oldest of those is four. So we're kind of in this process of watching small children do what small children do. And there will come a time when Emmeline, the youngest, will stand up and she'll catch hold of a table or she'll catch hold of a chair We'll back away and and we'll encourage and we'll put the smile on her face and we'll hold her arms out, hoping that she'll walk to us. And what she'll do, and we know it, is she'll stand there a moment and she'll drop down on her knees and she'll crawl as fast as she can. And we'll pick her up and we'll kiss her and we'll love her and we'll go stand her up again. Because what do we know? Someday she will. And I love, as a granddad, I love being in the process. I just love watching. I'm not disappointed a single time when I want her to walk and she, st- she gets down on her knees and crawls. I'm never disappointed. I love being in the process with her. Guess what? God loves being in the process with you. He loves it. He's not disappointed in the moments when we get down on our knees, when he wants us to run, he wants us to fly, and we end up crawling again. He's not disappointed. He loves being in this process with us. Don't let anybody convince you. Don't let anyone lead you to believe that God is disappointed in you as his child. He loves you. If he's going to die on the cross for you, if he's going to give us his son to live in us through the Holy Spirit, every one of those things, this great act of love, don't let anyone lead you to believe otherwise. I found that there was great clarity when I looked at the word sin in verse 7. When God says, if you do not well, sin lies at your door. I found this to be fascinating because the word sin in Hebrew, and I wish I could pronounce it, but it's one of those words that kind of has this K and H sound at the beginning of it. And I can't hardly say cracker, much less something that's got a K and H at the beginning. So I'm not even trying to pronounce what the Hebrew word is, but the Hebrew word for sin in verse seven means sin and sin offering. Exact same word. So it was interesting to me to recognize that what God was really saying in this moment to Cain is, if you don't do well, I'm going to lay a sin offering at your door so that you can do well. You see the act of love, the difference between you saying, you know, here's sin, you're, you're, going, you're really messing up. Or him saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to lay this lamb at your door so that you can do this right. I'm going to provide the lamb. I'm going to put it at your door so that you can do well. And if you do well, then you're going to reign not only over, because the word Cain means he is rising. He's saying, if you'll do this, if you'll accept the the lamb that I'm laying at your door, then you will reign and you will have the position that I've established you for. Well, we know the story and we know what he didn't do. Boy, what beauty in this story. Because that word in verse 7 in Hebrew means this. In the Old Testament, when a sinner 
brought a lamb to the temple to offer as a sacrifice. They had to pick the lamb that they was the best. They couldn't get a sickly one. They had to bring that lamb into the house with them. And the lamb had to live with the family as a pet. Because what they wanted to make sure was that when they sacrificed the lamb, it was a true sacrifice. It was someone that they loved. Someone that had been in the home with them. And it was a very strange moment when they would bring the lamb for the offering. The father would lay his hand on that little lamb and say these words. I lay all my sin on this lamb. Why? In this way, the sin offering actually became the sinner's sin. That lamb, by the laying on that hand, depicts this picture that that lamb now became the sin of the man laying his hands on him. So that when the lamb died, what died? The man's sin. That happened every time they brought a lamb. Think about this. What is this telling us about what happened when Jesus died? We get these scriptures. We know them very well. In 1 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What happened that morning? What happened that day when Jesus was crucified? We know the story that your sin, my sin, the sin of the world was placed on the back of that lamb when someone put their hands on that lamb and said he became sin for us so that what would happen? So that when that lamb died, what died with him? My sin died. The power of sin died in that moment. And I no longer have to live under that torment. I no longer have to live under that anguish of sin. Because in that moment that Jesus died, my sin died in him. This was not a casual day. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So that when sin, when that lamb died, the sin died with him. I want to tell you that that day when Cain grew angry, he didn't grow angry because he didn't have an opportunity to change his mind. He was broken and grew angry because he said no to the offering that God had laid at his door. Please, please think about this. God lays an offering at our door so that by our choice, By our determination, we too can lay our hands on that lamb and let him become our sin. You see, it's already been accomplished. Whether you receive it or not is now the question because the lamb has already been slain. Your sin has already been overcome. The death and the consequences of that sin has already been established and victory is ours. We get to read it in the scripture and we know it's true. The only thing left is the same place where Cain was. Will we accept it or will we say no to it? His death, Jesus' death is our life. His sacrifice is our righteousness. His love is our great salvation. Sin now overcome allows us to again walk in the Garden of Eden. That which caused the separation, sin has now been overcome. John announced that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We could now once again walk in the presence of God. We could now once again enter boldly into the throne room of God because that sin that had created the separation is now gone. I can walk with God once again. He can walk with me. In the quietness and the stillness of that garden, we can still walk. Sin that separated has been overcome. I mentioned earlier that 
What Adam lost by the sin that he committed was the opportunity and the ability to walk with God. But I want to talk for just a minute about something else that I think might have been lost in that moment when Adam and Eve committed that sin. If you want to go with me or write it down, I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1, 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There it is. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So 1 John 1, 5 establishes that God is light and the brilliance of which allows no man to see him. If God were in all of his fullness, no one would be able to look on him because of the glory, because of the light that is coming off of him. I wonder, is it possible that Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned, because they had been made in the likeness of God, I wonder if they too emanated this light, that they were clothed in his likeness, clothed in that light because he is light. I wonder if that was their clothing, if they were clothed with the light of God. Again, I wonder if it's possible. When I read about that, when I kind of came across that question, I went to these scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but under, on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What should happen the moment that we're saved? What should happen the moment when our sin is dealt with, when that which had turned the light out in Adam and Eve, what should happen when that sin is dealt with? You and I should be able to radiate the very light and the very brightness and the very essence of God because our sin has been paid for. The death has been overcome and the world should be able to see just what is written here. It says it, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, but know and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Why? Because when they see your good works, they're going to look at me and say, there's no way Randy can do that. There's no way that Randy can know that. There's no way that Randy can say that. There's no way that Randy can accomplish that. They're going to know by our good works, which the Father is performing through us, they're going to be able to see us and know that it's the Father and glorify Him. And then this scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come. The Holy Spirit has been given that his light can shine and his glory can be evident in us. Every act of kindness, every child you hold, every act of love that God does through you will put his glory on display. And you never know who's watching. I love the commercial I don't even know what they're advertising. You, somebody here may. Someone would do something kind and someone in the background would watch them. And then this person in the background would do something kind 
and the person in the background would see them. And then that person would do something kind. And at the end of this, it has come full circle that the very first act of kindness is repaid by someone many times now removed. I want to tell you, God has equipped us with his goodness so that he can be on display. How you love your neighbor, how we forgive those who who we may feel like don't deserve forgiveness. How every day this smile on our face radiates the love of God. God is put on display. He paid a great price so that this light could shine in our hearts. And he says, who would would dare put that light under a bushel so that no one could see? No, that light was designed to be on on a lampstand so that the world could be lit up by the light that God has placed in us, that which radiates in us. I want to tell you today, God has called you to his goodness. He paid a great price. And I shared with you a few weeks ago, there's not anything that God's going to expect of you that he doesn't first give to you. He's never going to expect anything of you that he doesn't give to you first. He's not going to say to you, love the Lord your God with all your heart if he doesn't first give us that love. He's not going to say to us, let your light so shine before men if he doesn't first give us that light. He's given us the light to radiate from us so that the world can know. And the world's desperately needing to know because there's so much darkness. The world needs to be able to look up and see the beacon established on the hill. And know that God is good. He's equipped us for it. Made us ready. Lord, I thank you this morning. That you have so equipped us. By the blood of your son. Paid such a price so that we could be clean. Established us. In forgiveness and healing. And joy and truth. Established us. So that we could live in the freedom. That only you could provide. And I pray Lord this morning. For anyone who's held in bondage to anything, to know that that is not God's plan. That is not God's will. That is not God's desire for us. That we would be held captive by anything. You died to bring us victory. You promised it. You assured it in your death. You gave it in your resurrection. You fulfilled it in the giving of the Holy Spirit. Let us receive it today so that we will not be encumbered by anything but that our light would shine. Not because of our opinions or because of our decisions, but because of you. Let us recognize that we died so that you could live. This is your life to live. Your hands to work. Your feet to go. Your mouth to speak. Your heart to love. Your mind to think. Let us realize while we died that you could live. So that the world could see you in us. Not as something overwhelming. But because as we go day by day that our light would shine in classrooms and in offices and out in the oil field, that our light would so shine, they would see our good works, good works, but know, glorify you, our Father which is in heaven. Lord, we know that the great difference of a morning like this isn't what happens in here. If lives are changed, it will show out there. It will show in the places where we work the places where we live. It will show to our sons and our daughters. It will show to our husbands and our wives that you have done a great work, that you have set us free and that our light would shine and that my wife should be the first recipient of that light. The first recipient of your love and goodness should be to her. And I pray, Lord, that from there, as the cup runs over, that my children and my grandchildren will experience your love, your light that you placed in me. 
that the world around me in this church would see in me the light and the love of God and be able to receive it and share it with others and let this light so shine before men that you would be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. Bless this day, this day of remembrance, this day when we recognize you. We thank you, Lord, that you have come. In Jesus' name, amen.